0: As we said, we welcome you to the San Ramon Valley Bible Church this morning. In just a few minutes, we'll have a message from God's Word, and Adam is going to favor us with a solo. But before we continue with the announcements and the meeting, we're going to ask our brother Dave Huete to come up and open in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, like always, Lord, we are so honored and thankful to be here to worship you, Lord, to praise you, and, and Lord, to be fed by your word. Uh, we do ask you, Lord, to continue to just increase our hunger and our appetite for you. We also pray, as always, that if there's anybody here who does not yet know you, Lord, that today be the day. Lord, we also ask you to just encourage us and give us the words through this training so that when we're out in the world, that we know what to say, Lord, as we spread your gospel. We do ask that you hide the speaker behind the cross, Lord, that your message that you picked out for us today Uh, It's penetrated in our hearts and our minds, Lord, that all distractions are put aside so that we can listen to you, Lord. And we do also ask that you will be glorified in today's solo by Adam. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll have a few announcements, and then I have a letter to read from Carl Knott. I'm going to read some excerpts from, which I think you'll really enjoy. So, but a few announcements for this week. On Monday night, tomorrow night, we will have choir practice at 6 o'clock and worship team at 6.45. There will be a women's Bible study here in the sanctuary at 7.30, followed also by a men's prayer meeting during that same time in the fellowship room at 7.30. On Wednesday, there won't be any choir practice or worship team practice, but we have a very special Valentine's fellowship and sweet night at 7.30. So please come out for this. We're going to have two to three couples that will be sharing on how the Lord brought them together and they fell in love and they've been together and it's going to be a blessing. We did this last year and I was saying we need to do this every year because it is such a great thing when we have testimonies like this and it's going to be excellent. It's going to be at 730 on Wednesday. Please come out for that. On Thursday, there will be a women's Bible study at 10 o'clock in the morning. Now, the Friday groups are not on until we further announce it, so please keep that in mind. We'll announce when they'll resume again. Next Sunday, our dear brother Rajiv is coming all the way from Colombo, Sri Lanka, and he's going to be speaking to us next Sunday. So do pray for the dear brother as he makes that long trip. It is a draining flight. He gets jet-lagged every time, but the Lord gives him strength, and so we look forward to that. And on the last Sunday of the month, on the 22nd, our dear brother Adel will be bringing the message from the Word. Well, before we have our song by our dear brother Adam, we have a, a letter to read that's dated January 10, 2015. And it's addressed, Dear Brothers Adel, Bill, and Mike, and all our family at the, in the Lord at the San Ramon Valley Bible Church. As we enter the new year, and this is Carl and Ruth Knott writing this to us, our 29th in Spain, we are grateful for the Lord's care all along the way. We left the Air Force in 1980 and since then have been cast on the Lord for guidance and enabling and service and the supply of our needs. He has never failed. We can say again, and Adel, you're going to love this, Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us, 1 Samuel 7:12, and blessed be his name. We thank you in the Lord's name for all your prayers and support during the past year, which have been a huge help and encouragement and of strategic importance in our missionary work. In the Seville congregation, we finished the year with a four-part series on Psalm 110, one of the great messianic psalms and one of the most quoted in the New Testament. And he goes on to offer prayer for a lady named Maria. He said, please continue to pray for Maria, a friend of one of the sisters, who attends occasionally and is reading the Bible given to her. She is a widow, and one of her in-laws is an extremely strong-willed, manipulative woman, steeped in idolatry, whose influence seems to be hindering Maria. And he remembers here the story of Sergio Paulus, in the book of Acts and how the Lord intervened and saved that man, and we're praying for this lady Maria. He also mentions there are several young men who visit our home occasionally, but none of them has yet professed faith, but continue to pray for them. He also talks about a couple of books that he's been writing, and then Ruth comes along, and Ruth has recovered from her fall and is walking again. I didn't know if we knew that she had a fall, but she had a fall, and she's walking again, It seems that she took a little over a month convalescing and healing because she entered a dark room, tripping and falling and injuring her ankle and lower leg. She was confined to a chair with her foot elevated for much of that time and is glad not only to be rid of the crutches and on her feet again, but also not to have to eat Carl's cooking." (laughs) I love that. Okay. Okay. I thought you'd enjoy it. Thank you again for all your support and prayers, and may the Lord guide you every step according to his will and bless your labors for him. Look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh, Luke 21, 28. So at this time, we're going to ask our dear brother Adam to come forward. He's going to sing a solo for us, and then following that, we'll have the message from God's word.
1: love of His creation, God paid a debt that He didn't owe. Bearing my pain, not one was His equal, and wearing my shame so that I could know Him. Well, He gave us all. He had to give so that we could truly live so let's give all we have to him so that we seemed his defeat he said here's my body broken in two here is my blood let it cover you all that I have is now yours to receive as payment in full so that you can be free well he gave us all he had to give so that we could truly live so let's give all Without a doubt, completely. soul
0: Isn't that a great blessing i said yesterday i see adam is in the bulletin is he going to be i said to sylvia i said is he going to be playing one of his solos on his bass and she said no he's going to sing i said okay great so i came in this morning and i heard him sing and he practiced it twice it touched my heart and i said the lord is alive and working in our midst and it goes along with my message and it's just fantastic adam is a music teacher he has a lot that he contributes to the church. In the, in the choir, he helps teach us, and he is in the worship team, and he plays the bass, and it's just a blessing to have a young man like that. And the Lord has raised him up, and look how he's using him even more. So thank God for that. Shall we just open in prayer? Father, we're so thankful for Adam. We're thankful for all our young people. We're thankful for our children. We're thankful for each member of this church. We pray, Lord, that you will use us to touch many lives, here in this neighborhood, throughout the Bay Area, and throughout the world. And we pray, Lord, as we go out into this world, that we would live for our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer, and we will be a blessing to others, Lord. We pray now that you will hide me behind the cross, that you will speak through your word in a powerful way, Lord, that you'll have a message to impart to every heart, and we just pray that you will take care of every detail of our lives, Lord, and we just thank you And we praise you for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. You know, the Super Bowl was on last Sunday. And one of my teams was not in it, the 49ers. They weren't in it this year. So whenever the 49ers are not in the game, I like to still watch the game. I watch it every year. I've watched all 49 Super Bowls that they've had. The next one's going to be in Santa Clara, in our home stadium. But I was watching the game, and I thought, this is a fascinating matchup. You have New England. And you have Seattle, two teams from polar opposites, right? Opposite parts of the country. Two coaches, totally different. Pete Carroll, and, and then you have Bill, uh, Belichick, the coach. You have Tom Brady, one quarterback, different style completely. And then you have Russell Wilson. They're both excellent. You have two strong defenses. In fact, the game was so close and so going into the game that it was kind of one of these pick'em games. It could go either way. And so I, I knew we had a chance for a good game, but we had a great game. And it came down to the last part of the game. And it's really amazing when you watch football, you see these big, huge men playing a little boy's game. And they play it in a rough way. And you see in the game, Sometimes you can tell players are talking to each other. Did you ever know or wonder about what those players are saying to each other? Like, good play, or it's nice to see you again, and how's the wife and kids, and how's everything going? And No, they're talking trash. They are talking about the other person's mother sometimes. They're talking about the, you patriots, you're a bunch of cheaters, you know, and all these things are going on in the game. But what it comes down to, sports is really a mirror of society because we're like that as a world. We have a lot of proud and arrogant people in the world. And if you look out into the world today, you don't find many humble people. It's rare when you have somebody stand up and give credit to somebody else. It's rare. It's rare even for the players to give credit to their, to their teammates. They oftentimes take the credit for themselves. And so as we look at, at life we see that God wants us as Christians to live humble lives because when we live humbly before him, we have the power. We have the power to be a blessing to others. And when God can can use a humble vessel for his glory, a humble vessel who doesn't care who gets the credit, who doesn't care who gets the glory except to give God all the glory, That's what we want. That's the kind of lives God wants us to live. And the title of our message this morning is Humbling Ourselves Before God. Humbling Ourselves Before God. And if you'll turn with me and you'll see it on the screen to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 1. You know, the Lord Jesus didn't get along too well with the Pharisees, did he? The Pharisees didn't get along too well with him. They were always putting him down, looking to trap him in what he said, didn't like anything because they were jealous of him. And so here in this chapter, the Lord is going to be is speaking here and giving us some lessons that we can learn to be opposite of the way the Pharisees were. So in Matthew chapter 23, verse 1 says, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best seats at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. Greetings in the marketplaces and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi for one is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all brethren. And do not call anyone on earth your father. Sorry, Pope. I uh, don't want to offend you, but it says right here. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. And do not call be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. May God bless the reading of his word. It's powerful when you think about it. When you think of some of the strongest things in the world, you oftentimes think of armaments, and you think about strong, muscular people and things. But the strongest thing in the world is a humble life. It's somebody that's confident in the Lord. That's humility, and that's what the Lord wants us to have in our lives. Bill McDonald, in writing on this portion, said this. He says, once again, the revolutionary character of the kingdom is seen in the fact that true greatness is exactly opposite what people suppose. Jesus said, He who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. True greatness stoops to serve. Pharisees who exalt themselves will be brought low. True disciples who humble themselves will be exalted in due time. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself is the greatest example of humility in all of the Bible. In the Old Testament, Moses say, it says of Moses that he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Was he a strong man? Yes. Was he a great leader? Yes. But he was a meek man. He was a humble man. And God used him in a great way. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus is the greatest example in the New Testament and all throughout Scripture. And it says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8 of the Lord Jesus Christ. And being found as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Can you imagine God coming down to this world in the form of Jesus Christ and becoming humble to the point of death, even death on the cross. That humbles me. That tells me, Dean, you've got a long ways to go. You've got a lot to learn about humility. And I surely do. And so I'm not preaching this message to anybody but to myself this morning because it's God's will that God humbles me and makes me a humble vessel. And he wants all of us to be humble before him You know, our Lord Jesus stooped so low that when he was with his disciples there in the upper room before he went to the cross, he got down and did the job of a slave and got down with a towel and the water and he washed every one of their dirty feet. Twelve sets of feet. All the disciples, including Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. Can you imagine the grace and the humility of our Savior that would do that? And then he told them that they should do likewise to serve one another. Yes, the Lord wants us to be humble. He wants us to be humble when we come to him for salvation. He wants us to be humble in our daily lives. And he wants us to be humble in our service for him. You know, that humility is one of those things that just when you think you've attained it, you think, I'm humble now, right? You've lost it. There's a fine line, and we have to be very careful. There are people that are proud of their humility. That's not humility. We have to take the center of attention off of ourselves and give it to others, and take it off of everything and put it on Christ. And when we do that, that is true humility. We all have a long ways to go on that. But the first thing is humbling ourselves in salvation. You know, you can't be saved unless you come to God and humble yourself as a sinner. Now, there's a lot of people that don't do that, isn't there? They don't want to admit it, that they're a sinner, and they don't want to admit that they're in any way not deserving of heaven. Oh, I've lived a pretty good life. I've done some pretty good things. I give to the poor. I I help people out. I haven't committed any of those really bad sins. Oh, I might tell a white lie here or there, or do some little things like that, but everybody, right? I'll get in, I'll make it into heaven. We have to get to the point in our life where we realize that every sin that we commit is an abomination to the Lord. And we have to humble ourselves to realize that we're sinners and we need to be forgiven by God. That we can't get into heaven any other way that through, but through the cross of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ, if we weren't sinners, he wouldn't have had to come down to this world and die on that Roman cross he would have not had to do it at all there could have been another way of salvation wouldn't he have come up with it there is no other way there is no other way to be saved but through the cross and we have to come and we have to come as a sinner and we have to accept him as our Lord and Savior it's humbling it's very humbling to do it and one day when the disciples came and asked the Lord Jesus this question, who is the greatest? It's amazing. And they did this not just once either. You think, well, they learned their lesson. They asked who the greatest was and he taught them the lesson. But later on, they asked the same question. They talked about the same thing on the road. It's amazing. But if you look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 4, you really see how the Lord taught them very patiently, very wonderfully, the lesson of humility. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you were one of the disciples and you were listening to that, you would have been blown away. Your mouth would have popped open. A little child? A little child. Maybe, say, um, the age of Parker or the age of a hunter or one of these little kids like we have, these sweet little ones. Jesus put him there in the midst and he says... You have to be converted. You have to be like one of these little children. You have to humble yourself like that. You have to realize you're unworthy, that you don't deserve God's salvation. You don't deserve his blessings. And when you come that way, the Lord does not refuse you. He says, come to me. And he saves us. And what a blessing when we come to him this way. And he wipes away the slate. He wipes it clean. When we come to Christ and ask him to forgive us, do you think he just wipes out part of our sins and says that? No. All. Past sins, present sins, and future sins are all wiped out. And isn't that a wonderful thing? Before Don Scarelli went home to be with the Lord, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Gina, and all of us too for that matter, had been praying for her dad for years and years. And he had that he thought he was a good person. He thought he was a religious person. He was in, goes to church and does these things and lived a good life, but he, he wasn't saved. And he got right till almost the end of his life, right before his last breath practically. He accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his savior and he is right now in heaven praising God with all those who've gone before. And that's a blessing. Because he finally humbled himself. You know, the strongest thing in the world is the will of man. Man's will is so strong and it has to be broken. It has to be broken. If our will is not broken, we're not going to get saved. We're not going to come to Christ. We have to come and we have to break our will before him and confess that we are sins, sinners. And that we need to be saved. If you don't think you're sick, you're not going to go to the doctor. You're going to say, I'll get over this. I'll be okay. We have a sickness, and we mentioned it at the breaking of bread today. Jim said it. Sin has been injected into us. Through Adam, every person that has lived ever since, Adam and Eve, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. There's no exceptions to that. We need to be saved through the blood of Christ and to have eternal life. And what a blessing it is. And so when you look at yourself in the mirror and you see yourself as you are, it's amazing. And sometimes it's a shock. Sometimes we realize how bad we really are. And yet God loved me. He saved me. He gave me eternal life. Why? I'm not worthy. You're not worthy. But he loves us so much. There's a man named John Flavel who once said, They that know God will be humble. And they that know themselves cannot be proud. And that's so true. I'm going to say it one more time. They that know God will be humble. And they that know themselves cannot be proud. And it's true. And just sometimes we think we're doing pretty good and the Lord allows us to see some of the ugliness. And I mean ugliness of our old nature that's still there. He's given us two natures as Christians. We have the old nature and we have the new nature. Praise God, we feed the new nature and it overcomes, but we still have that old nature, and sometimes it raises up its ugly head at the worst times in our life, doesn't it? Sometimes we even have bad thoughts at the breaking of bread. I don't know if that has ever happened to you, or, or in your life you're, you're in a solemn, holy moment. and I mean, we've got that old nature, and we need to defeat it definitely through the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we look at ourselves, we see nothing worthy. But when we look at Christ, we see he is worthy. He can save us. He loves us. I like what John Bunyan said about himself because he was the one who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. You think, a great man, godly man. He's got to be a great guy, right? Well, he wrote this. He says, when I saw John Bunyan, as God saw John Bunyan, I did not say I was a sinner. I said I was sin from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. He says, I'm not a sinner. I'm I'm sin, period. And our sins made it necessary for Jesus Christ to go to the cross and die for our sins so that we can be forgiven and have everlasting life. Our God is compassionate. He's merciful. He wants to save us, but it takes us breaking our will. We have to humble ourselves, and when we do that, he saves us. I also think of the great apostle Paul He's one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, I believe, probably the greatest missionary, greatest preacher, greatest elder, everything summed up into one. And yet, in his life, he, he said three things about himself that shows how humble he was. And they really are kind of a progression because they're found in this order in the New Testament. The first thing he said, he says, I'm the, the least of the apostles. That's the first thing he said. That's humble. I'm the least of the apostles. Then the next time he said it, he says, I'm the least of all saints. Not only am I of the least of the apostles, but I'm the least of all saints. That's even more humble, right? And then the third thing he says, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of the worst. And when we come to Christ and we see just how sinful we are, we say, Lord, forgive me. And he does. And he gives us eternal life. But we have to come You talked about Billy Graham this morning, and two brothers talked about him, both Mark and Jim were mentioning Billy Graham. Billy Graham's one of my favorite preachers. I love him so much, and I've been to a couple of different crusades of his, and he always asks people way up on the top, way up on the top row, and we did. We sat up there. They call it Mount Davis at the Coliseum, and it's way up high. I said, boy, we're way down there, and when you look down, you're way up. And so there he was preaching, preaching the gospel, and at the end he always calls people to come down. Come down. Come down from your high horse. Come down from what your high thinking about yourself. Come down about your estimation of yourself. Come down and get saved. And they had to come. He says, we'll wait for you. And they started walking down, walking down, and they would get down there, and you'd see the field flooded with people, praying to receive Christ all coming through the same way, through the blood of Christ. And it's exciting. Yes, are you willing this morning to humble yourself and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Maybe you've thought about it. Maybe you think you're okay. You think you're pretty good. Today's the day to accept Him as Lord and Savior and humble yourselves. Secondly, it's important to remember that we need to humble ourselves in our daily living. That includes when we go to school. That includes when we go to work. That includes when we go out to the store, to the gas station, or wherever we go, we are responsible to be humble vessels before people so that they can see Jesus Christ in us. That is the challenge. That is the blessing. Humility is one of those traits that is quintessential in the Christian faith. It is so important. And it's not an elective. It's a requirement. You know, I like uh, uh, your son. I'm not sure where he is right now, but Alexander started school at Cal State, which is my alma mater, and I love that school. And he goes to school. When, when you start off in college, they say, here's some courses that are required courses. You cannot graduate without them. Then there's others that are electives. You can take them if you want to. If, if you like that course, you can take it. Go ahead and take it. It all adds up to credits, and you'll graduate. But the requirements are things you have to do. And as Christians, humility is not an elective. It's a requirement. If we're going to be effective for the Lord, if we're going to serve Him, if we're going to be a blessing to others, we have to be humble. And I'm speaking to myself first, as well as to everyone here this morning, because humility has a powerful effect on people. Now, to show just how much it's a requirement, I'm going to give you a verse from the book of Micah, chapter 6, and verse 8, that shows how God considers Humility so important, and it is. It says in Micah 6, 8, He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What does He require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's amazing. To walk humbly with your God is a requirement. It's so very important. Our dear brother and one of our favorite preachers is Charles Spurgeon, right? We love him very much. Well, he once said this about this subject. He says, the higher a man is in grace, the lower he will be in his own esteem. The higher he is in grace, and we are saved by grace, and we're enveloped by God's grace, the more we're going to be realizing how low we are in our own estimation. We start off, we're so proud then we realize that it's not us, it's about Him. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not about us. We don't go about tooting our own horn, because if you toot your own horn, you'll do so without accompaniment, right? doesn't work. But humility is the first act of obedience that we have when we get get saved. And that's what He wants us to do. And so He changes our lifestyle. And humility starts with our attitude. It starts with our motives, it starts with our desires, it starts with everything about us, and then it gets to our actions. And so, if you really think about it, humility is something that we strive for every day of our lives, every day of our lives. We said it in that, we sang it in that hymn, May the Mind of Christ My Savior. We want his mind, we want his humble life. It's a quality of life. There was a man named James M. Berry who said, life is a long lesson in humility. Mm -hmm. That is so true. It's a long lesson. And Jesus said, if we exalt ourselves, we're going to be humbled. God's going to have to humble us. But if we humble ourselves, he will exalt us in the due time. And if you want to have a good test of humility, here are seven questions. Now, As I was studying this yesterday, I kept getting convicted as it got further and further along the list, and I said, Lord, I am not humble. There's no way. I need to be more humble. I need to be more humble. I'm not saying anything, but I need to be more humble. And these questions are very convicting, but I'm going to read them to you. The first one is, are you able to admit you're wrong?" and don't have all the answers. <laughs> I mean, this is conflicting. Sometimes we don't like to admit that we don't have all the answers. We don't like to admit we're wrong. It's like there was a story of two captains, and they were on two ships, right? And these two ships collided into a colossal catastrophe, and people died, and people were in the water and had to be rescued. And they thought, what was wrong? Was it a problem with the, with the ship's? With the way the ships were handled? Or was there a problem mechanically? Or something happened? where these two ships crashed together? No, it was two captains that were so proud that did not want to be the one to back away. And so they ended up crashing together because by the time they decided we better do something about it, it was too late, and they came together and crashed. Two people that are proud, right, are going to crash. But when one is humble and ducks under, then there's going to be smoothness and there's going to be a blessing. So that's the first question, and that's convicting. The second question is is convicting, too. Are you happy when others succeed? Now, we get happy when we succeed, when we get the promotion, we get the A in school, we get a raise, we get all these things, great things. You won the Super Bowl, right? You're happy. But are you happy when others succeed? You know, it was an interesting scene at the end of the game and I was watching it and they showed it on the NFL network later on because it probably wasn't shown on the actual game footage, but Richard Sherman is like the king of trash-talking, right? Remember when he played the 49ers and Michael Crabtree? Very trash-talking. He went off for a long time, but anyway. He comes up to Tom Brady, and he reaches out his hand like this. And I was waiting to see, is Tom Brady going to shake his hand? Because there's been kind of a little problem between those two in the game they played back in 2012. And so finally, Brady holds out his hand, and he shook hands. And it was like a great picture of two great athletes congratulating each other. Finally, they got it, right? Finally, they got it right. And in life, when you can give somebody else. A high-five you can give somebody else a handshake you can give somebody else a hug great I'm happy for you that means humility but we have a long ways to go here's another one that convicted me do we move on with out pouting if someone is not grateful for what they, you've done for them <laughs> that's a hard one too I mean you expect If you do something good for somebody, they're going to say thank you, right? They're going to be grateful. But there are people in life, proud people especially, that are not even going to thank you for it. So are you going to just pout and start saying that? No. A humble person will just let it go. Let it go. Because if we hold on to those things, all it does is fester and cause bitterness is what it does. Here's another one. Are you able to do something good without everyone else having to know about it? This is big. This is really big. Jesus taught, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do it in secret. Do it in secret. How many preachers today do you see on TV in other words, that are promoting what they have done and all these things? Are you willing to do something good without anybody having to know about it? That is a humble person. Here's another one. Do you give God all the glory for every success that you have? Or do you start feeling pretty good? I did it. I got that A on my my score. I got that high high score. I got that that promotion. We start, start to take a little bit of credit for it. As soon as we start taking a little bit of credit for it, and I mean like one tenth of one percent, we've lost it. We've lost it. Because we have to give the Lord Jesus Christ all the glory, all the credit for everything good that He has given to us and brought into our life. Every success, we should bow down and say, Thank you, Lord. Without You, I couldn't have done it. Without You, I couldn't have made it. And when we do that, that's humility. And finally, Here's another tough one for me. Do you recognize your weaknesses and rely fully on the Lord? That's another one that's tough. It's really tough. So these are tough things, but these are things that all of us as Christians need. We need to be humble. And the Apostle Peter, who learned the hard way about humility, by a lot of the things he said and a lot of things he did in the Gospels, he had to come back and ask for forgiveness for later on, but he learned. He learned. And even after denying his Lord three times and the Lord forgave him of that, he went on to be a great apostle, a great preacher, and won many souls to Christ. And he writes to the Christians in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter realized that for every Christian that he's talking to, including himself, that humility was going to be what is going to make you strong and make you successful in this world. And I love it when you get somebody stands up, football player, soldier, whoever it is, and gives credit to somebody else, police officer. I love it. Because we don't do everything ourselves. We can't. It's the Lord's helping us. He gives us people to help us. And we should always give credit to others. Someone once said this, and I thought this was really convicting. The beginning of greatness is to be little. The beginning of greatness is to be little. The increase of greatness is to be less. To be less. And the perfection of greatness is to be nothing. Whoa, that is against the world's teaching right there, right off the get-go. The world sees it completely different. But in the eyes of the Lord, when we see ourselves as nothing, unworthy, not deserving of anything, that's when we can really appreciate the Lord for who He is, what He's done for us, and what He is doing for us. It is challenging, though, because I mentioned that old nature is with us But may the Lord help us to be humble in everything that we do. Greatness in the kingdom is about being humble and serving others, and it's total opposite of the way the world is. One day, Hudson Taylor was invited to speak, and they asked him, he was a great missionary to China, won many people to the Lord. He blended in with their culture, he wore the clothes they wore, he ate the food they ate, which I... Probably could not do in many cases of these countries where the missionaries go, right? He did all of those things, and you think, what a great man. He's going to tell us now the secret of his greatness, the secret of his great success in the mission field. And here's what he said. I think God was looking for a little man, little enough that he could show himself strong through him. A man can receive nothing except it be given to him from heaven. I thought, wow, here's the greatest mission, maybe one of the greatest missionaries in our modern times anyway. And he says God was looking for a little man, a little man. You know that the name Paul means little? Paul means little. And so Paul never thought of himself as more highly than he ought to think. And so Hudson Taylor was like that as well. When you think of great, strong, powerful men in the Bible... One of them you think of is John the Baptist, right? He was a strong man of God. And he came to announce the Messiah. But by his words, he showed how humble he was. In John chapter 1, verse 27, he said, It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. That's humility. Isn't that humility? He says, I'm not even worthy to get down on my hands and knees, before Jesus, and unloose one of his sandal straps. That's how humble he was. And then he showed his humility even more in John chapter 3 and verse 30 when he said, He, that is Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, must increase, but I must decrease. I must decrease. It's a challenge. It really is. And the Lord tells us that he who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. I don't know if you've experienced that or not in life, but it certainly is a principle in the Christian life that that is going to happen. But it's a great privilege to serve with you folks in the church because we have, it's like a team. And that's why I like football so much. I think it's, I mean, I I know it's my favorite sport. Because football players, there's 53 of them that play the game. And they start in preseason, and they whittle the team down to 53, right? 53 make the cut, and they're on the team for that year. And they have them on the practice squad and so forth, but they have 53 active players. And when they come to the Super Bowl, it's a thrill for those players, right? Some of them have sat on the bench all year long cheering for their teammates, happy when their teammates succeed, happy when they win the game, and they had to win a lot of games to get to the Super Bowl. And then in the Super Bowl, sometimes you have the unlikeliest of heroes that comes up. They rise up. There was a, a receiver by the name of Mitchell. I, Mitchell, I've never heard of Mitchell. Probably Sung knows him because Sung's a Seahawks fan, but I'd never heard of this guy. He's real tall, over six feet, I think three inches tall. And they put him in, and they threw the pass down the field, and he's so tall he caught two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. And nobody had heard of him. He's an unlikely hero, right? Well, it came down to the last drive of the game. And I thought, oh boy, this, the Patriots had just taken a 8-24 lead, and I was thinking to myself, I'm watching at home, there's too much time left. Russell Wilson, he's a Christian too. Russell Wilson has too much time. They've got so much talent, they're going to just drive down the field. And sure enough, he throws it to Marshawn Lynch, catches a long pass. You could see the coach of the Seahawks. says, we got it now. We're at about midfield. we got plenty of time. We're going to win it just like we've done it before. And then they threw a pass downfield. And an unlikely man by the name of Malcolm, uh, last name was... Butler, Malcolm Butler, that's it. He was a walk-on. He was not drafted by anybody. He was a walk-on, meaning he wasn't drafted from South Alabama. Not only had you never heard of him before, I'd never heard of South Alabama as a school even before. He reached up and he knocked the ball away and you watched it like this and, and it came down and the receiver fell on his back and the ball fell right to him. And probably Tom Brady, they showed him over there I thinking, I can't believe it. It happened with the New York Giants twice, and they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl with these fantastic catches by people you almost never heard of. And I go, wow, now they're going to win it for sure. And then they gave it to Marshawn Lynch, and the ball was on the half-yard line, right? All you have to do, and you've got, it's, it's second down, right? We've got second down, third and fourth if necessary. Win the game, right? They went for the pass, and he goes back to pass, he throws the ball, and that same cornerback is there. Not only did he knock away the pass, but he jumped in front of the receiver, intercepted the pass, and saved the game. And I thought, wow. And all he was doing was crying after the game and saying, I had to do it for my teammates. He wasn't saying, I made the greatest play in Super Bowl history. Maybe it was one of the greatest, but he didn't say that. He says, we practiced it all week. And all week, he didn't get it right in practice. They practiced that goal line play, and he couldn't stop it. But when the game time was on the line, he was humble. He went out there. He grabbed it. He intercepted it. The game was over, and they won the game. All 53 players are needed. The same thing in the church. You're all needed. We're all needed. We're all on the team. There's offensive starters. There's defensive starters. There's special team starters. And there's the last and the least that never know when you're going to get that chance. And praise be to God, the Lord wants us to be humble servants that we're ready to serve Him at any time and give all the glory to the Lord and give all the credit to others. And when we do that, the Lord can use us in such a magnificent way. There's a verse of scripture that says this in James chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. We're going to see and hear a song now which is entitled, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. We'll hear it and then following that we'll have a closing prayer. Wow, the Lord is good. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just pray if there's anyone here that has not humbled themselves and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, it's so easy, and yet it's so difficult because our pride gets in the way. And we just pray for anyone here who's been on the edge, who's, who's been close, but today we pray that they will no longer be on the edge or on the closeness anymore, but be in Christ. We pray that you'll help us as believers, Lord, to be humble and to show forth humility in our lives, not for our gain, not for our credit, but for your glory. And we pray that you will use us, Lord, as vessels, help us to be emptied of ourselves and full of the Holy Spirit, help us to have humility and love and mercy for people around us to realize, Lord, that they need you so much. And we just commit this time to you now and pray that you'll help us to meditate on these things, Lord, apply them in our lives, and as we come back tomorrow to study your word and pray, we pray that you'll be with us all throughout. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.